So the practice of opening to your experience as it is, to be aware, uh, possibly connected with the in-breath. It's, it's a little thing, it's, it's a little uh, but uh, amazing thing. Not to contract in a certain environment, but uh, to make to go into the other direction, and to open uh, to whatever is in the present moment. I think it makes sense lightly, not as a concentration, but lightly to combine that welcoming, that opening to a situation, a little with the in-breath. So it seems to be really helpful. And then to make that a habit, so that during daily life, uh, when we come into a claustrophobic situation, there is that habit in us of slowing down, shifting, combined with a bit of in-breath into the body, and feeling the contraction in your body, or the openness in your body. What is important is that we make this really a welcome. So we are not doing this practice to feel better in the moment. Then you are a materialist, as, uh, as Tom Mesampo says in the next verse, yeah, verse uh, 31. Uh, so as long as we practice uh, to feel better in the moment, we are not have we not have entered the path. Yeah? We have not in the Lamrim, we have not even entered the first scope. Yeah? The, the three scopes of the Lamrim. We are just doing whatever everyone does, you know, feeling better in the present moment, and instead of using smoking or a beer, uh, you know, we do a meditation, a mindfulness meditation. And it's fine when we notice that we initially enter the practice uh, just because we want to feel better. That's probably a good start. Many of us would never uh, get to a meditation center or uh, to Buddhism without uh, that natural uh, need in us, but at one time there is uh, this point we let, where we let go of that more and more. So as Ken McLeod says in his commentary on verse 31, then we are not practicing to make our life better, but we are living our life to practice. We're living our life as it is to practice. And every situation is manageable in the sense that we can be present. And then sometimes, as a side effect, we notice a reduction of the suffering, but that's a side effect.
So we reached the last part of the text with uh, the first 31. So the text with uh, foundational practices in the beginning, uh, foundational lamrim practices, and then the practice of um, top, uh, of Lojong, especially combined with the practice of Tonglen. And then the six perfections, the six far-reaching attitudes. And then there's some remaining uh, advice, uh, starting with uh, verse 31. Yeah, and after the 37 practice, uh, there is a bit of dedication. And I don't know if we will cover the six, rema seven, six remaining verses, uh, but let's see how far we get. So let's do a little quiet sitting as an invitation to arrive even deeper in this moment and in the meeting. And I will bring some reminders of these two aspects, and the one relying on silence, and the second Tonglen in a nutshell. But first just Take some time to adjust your posture and to allow the body to settle. And you can close your eyes if you like that. And then you allow that to happen, this shift from the head into the body, from the agendas and self-improvement projects, from hope and fears into present moment awareness. Possibly somewhat combined with the in-breaths, you can also take a couple of deeper in and out breaths initially. And then you allow your breath to find its natural rhythm. And you check the inner weather befriending your own energy. Initially it can be the whole body, whole body this breathing, the aliveness in the body, and you include the feet and the legs, and the trunk, and arms and hands, but also the head, and in peripheral awareness you stay connected with your surroundings, with the sounds in your room and with the field of togetherness of this group. And if your breath is in the foreground, well, that's fine, but uh, emphasize the spaciousness, the openness. 
and that there's a sense that you're doing less and less, so less manipulating, less controlling. Finding an effortless way of being present with whatever is. It's also possible with the out-breaths to soften somewhat in the belly and in the shoulders, also in the face, so that your energies can flow wherever they want to flow. Try not to rely on your thoughts, on the inner dialogue. Turning if you get entangled into the stream and resting. Body like a mountain, heart like the sky. And you might notice that there's something which is asking for attention, something emerging. You allow that to happen, neither rejecting it nor focusing on it. Kind of like a dark cloud passing through. Present moment awareness. Thoughts of the past and the future, they have no interest for you. And just being who you are and being here, and that is effortless, that is already happening. There's nothing to attain or nothing to go. There's no further to go than this. This is all we have.
and on important ingredients in that kind of presence is a warmth, a kindness, a nurturing compassion. And sometimes it helps to call upon our mentors and teachers. They are a reflection of these qualities of our own Buddha nature. So to make contact with these qualities within ourselves, it sometimes helps to feel how they surround us from all directions. And also they feel fill the temple of our meeting with their presence, the Dalai Lama, the Buddha, Jesus, Tara. And you feel them, you hear them, you smell them even. The Bodhisattva angels. And while we are doing that, we remember they are us, they are aspects of our own Buddha nature. And we just allow ourselves to be loved and we allow, our, we allow ourselves to be seen without protection. vulnerable and naked. Seems uh, that I got thrown out, but I'm back now. So we are in the presence of our mentors. Just marinating. in our own Buddha nature, which is symbolized by those images and the iconography, and the soft glow of their courage and love. And whatever is unresolved in your heart, you just hold it into this space 
without the need to feel better, without the need that it might go away soon, but with a radical love. So the main practice is still breathing into present moment. And then possible possibly in the letting go of the out breath there might be the gap of resting in silence. So slowly that silence, the ocean of calm, becomes more revealed and you rest right there. And uh, that silence is in the nature of love. It's, it's essence love, the union of compassion and wisdom, ultimate bodhicitta. And this is where we meet, where we unify. And if there's images, they dissolve. And you realize that the outer and inner silence is the same. That the outer Dalai Lama compassion and the inner compassion is the same. And the movements are recognized as movements of that same silence. Everything arises from silence, is silence, and dissolves back into silence. Rest in silence, rely on silence. 
which is this, which is this moment, is in the nature of silence, is in the nature of love. Including the contractions. This is all there is. Nowhere further to go. Opening, open our awareness even more into the human brotherhood and sisterhood, including the animals, resting in silence for them and for us, and being a source of love, being a source of wisdom and compassion, pouring out into your inner and also outer life, which is basically the same. It's all you. And there's nothing more to attain or to understand. This is it. Spacious aliveness in the nature of love. You have arrived, you're home.
And that's why we're here this morning to be reminded to familiarize ourselves for the benefit of all. Turn back. You want to shift your position. So sit comfortable. As yesterday, you can always just unmute yourself and make a comment or ask questions. Or in the break, uh, you can write in the chat. Also, if you uh, want me to turn to a certain topic, something uh, which has not come up yet, uh, connected with the text, and you're very welcome. I don't feel that I'm under pressure to, you know, cover cover more than one line. Uh, so I I will uh, read first uh, uh, thirty one. If you don't go into your own confusion, you may be just a materialist in practitioner's clothing. Constantly go into your own confusion and put an end to it. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. It's a beautiful uh, image, uh, the materialist and practitioner's clothing. Uh, and I think um, you know, the Tibetan teacher who talked about this the first time was Rumpa Rinpoche. In the 70s he wrote this book, Spiritual Materialism. And uh, so that's the materialist closed in, in, a, in a facade, in a, in a shell. So go into your confusion, that is exactly this uh, shift from struggling and fixing and controlling and using all kinds of things, also spiritual practice, to, uh, to feel better in the present moment. 
So here the counterinstinctive move uh, of giving up. Um, giving up not in the sense of resignation, yeah. Yeah, but uh, in, the, in the recognition that by giving up, giving up hope and fears, giving up the hope for a better past and the hope for a better future, uh, there's a shift, immediate a shift, a, a, a reduction of our immediate resistance and the possibility to uh, grow in that situation. So not growing in the sense that we become that we feel better, but uh, grow in the qualities of patience, compassion, wisdom. So we become more and more independent from the need uh, that our life goes into a, goes uh, goes uh, goes a certain way. Uh, so we don't express progress in samsara. Samsara is not fixable. So also in this situation, the important thing for a practitioner is now not how it's going to develop, what's going to happen, because we have accepted that there's only one direction in samsara, and that's up and down. Um, but uh, we are more focusing on we are focusing on the processes with which we handle any kind of situation. So that's that's what we hope. Well, that's what where our inspiration is. So the inspiration is not, uh, or may I be free of that discomfort. The inspiration is, may I have more patience to be with the discomfort of being a human being and working on that. So obviously that does not mean that whatever we can do to improve the situation for others, uh, we do that. Uh, so it's not like resignation and then giving up uh, to be involved. Actually, the involvement from this kind of space is much more effective, much more creative. Because you are not... Uh, you are not uh, collapsing into the fight-flight fight, process, so you stay connected with an overview of the situation um, and a more uh, common-sense approach to any situation. So the question doesn't become, okay, how can I turn this into, sit in, into the situation? How can I turn this situation into something which serves my needs? How can I turn this relationship into a relationship which serves my needs? But it turns around into uh, how can I make this place a better place for everyone, including myself?
So this is also part of this. It comes up in a late, later verse. Ah oh, no, now I can now I'm confused. Uh, tonight I'm teaching Shanti Deva. So this morning I read Shanti Deva. <laughs> a verse about the three kinds of laziness. Yeah? But uh, so one of the one of the three lazinesses uh, is losing heart. Yeah. So uh, when we get into experiential into what I just tried to explain, we never lose heart because we understand that every situation is manageable. Not manageable in the sense that there's a good end. There is no good end in samsara. But manageable in the sense that whatever it is, even the most uh, terrible outcome of a certain situation is manageable and can be transformed into gold for the practitioner. And then from that freedom, you know, having no agenda, uh, also having no agenda, part of this is that we understand the complexity of the situation. So we, we, we understand that every situation is a dependent arising and we, can't, we can only contribute what we can contribute, but we can't take away the karma of the society we live in. We can't take away the karma of this planet. We can just give our best and, and grow within that. Stefan? Yeah? Uh, when you said that uh, uh, the situation um, uh, can turn into gold, uh, do you mean that it's a, a chance to practice? Yes, yeah. So the, again, not the situation, Oh yeah, it's not it's it's not well put. Yeah, so well, the situation turns in gold, but we use it to make gold. You can say the 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 heart of gold. We can use it. Uh, we can transform it into something uh, which uh, where we grow. Yeah, and and obviously we'll also fail with that, and we will fall into reactive patterns. But even that is an opportunity. So failing and then having guilt or disappointment or despair. Uh, so that is also then that kind of situation where we uh, opportunity. So where we um, where we grow, yeah? uh, like uh, increasing our tolerance towards the failure of other people. And uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Mm. So I, uh, uh, Ken McLeod is really strong in this point. I can't remember that I have, I mean, except of Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, spiritual materialism. I, I, I haven't heard, and uh, he, he says this in different places. I, I'm listening, I have been listening to his teachings for many years now. Uh, so he is really very emphasizing, he's often emphasizing this point 
that uh, as long as our, what we do in our so-called spiritual practice, as long as it is this kind of short-term self-improvement, uh, feeling better, uh, in this point of view, we have we have not taken the seat of a practitioner. And, and that's very strong, uh, that point, because that's not what the marketing of meditation and also many Buddhist centers tell, tell us. Uh, and of course, it's a huge uh, disappointment for the, for, the, uh, and for the loop of the, of the narcissistic eye, yeah? because that's... Uh, uh, that's uh, very difficult for for that for that part of us and uh, this is not something easy to overcome i mean it will be only really overcome in the moment where we not only understand selflessness intellectually but when really through a, a recurring direct not finding of the solid separate self, it just that it drops, it just drops away. Yeah, it just it's gone. And until then, it will always refer, uh, resurface and reassemble, and uh, we have to accept that there is in our actions, even if we make like lip service to bodhicitta there is always a narcissistic component and uh, this narcissistic component is always contaminating our compassionate actions and whatever we do um, <clears throat> so it, it doesn't make sense to judge that or feel bad about it uh, or pretend it's not there pretending that i'm acting out of bodhicitta uh, we, we start to act out of bodhicitta once we have uh, directly and permanently uh, realized selflessness, anatta. Until then we, we have to be uh, loving and, uh, and kind and patient and humorous about this little parasite which is just busy about staying alive because it's so scared uh, uh, it feels its own uh, insubstantiality if we know that it's insubstantial uh, but uh, it just keeps running uh, and that's how it stays alive and running being busy to make us feel better So also there, it's so important to develop a tenderness. This is also, uh, there's you know, one verse coming up where uh, Tongmi Sampo talks about how we have this tendency to talk, talk badly about other people, particularly about uh, practitioners and teachers and uh, you know, also people who might uh, have deeper awakening experience than, than us. Um, so to have that tenderness um, and that understanding how 
how this process is also happening in us. So that helps us also to judge us when we notice that, but also this, the, from there less judgment towards others arises, more tolerance towards the narcissistic movements and self-preoccupations self of other people. It's so important that we meet that with love, with compassion, with understanding, that we are sitting in the same boat and that we all make mistakes. You know, we are all human beings, we all make mistakes and it's very difficult to meet people uh, who are really acting uh, from uh, uncontrived, stable bodhicitta. I met only one person, and that's Lama Sopa. And I didn't met His Holiness or the, the Dalai Lama, but I, it's kind of I assume that with him as well. But otherwise, I have not seen much. Even in you know in in masters and teachers and Tibetans. It's, uh, it's, of course, it's easy to, uh, to uh, take on the appearance, the cloth of a practitioner, you know, like you know, maybe even putting on special clothes, like uh, you know, the monk's cloth or mala and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, it, it's a bit tiring to see all this pretense in, uh, 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 in Buddhist centers. You know, people, are, people are not being uh, vulnerable and honest, but having, trying to protect the shell of uh, bodhicitta and uh, we are doing this for others, and, but then they can't lead a proper team meeting because it's <laughs> because it's so contaminated with their own agenda and also they don't develop the skills, the relative skills uh, to do this work. And then uh, uh, to to not uh, uh, to not listen to the critic, to the judge, which is judging you and the people, the other people, yeah. particular leaders, yeah? center leaders or teachers, baby teachers like me, and all the others who are just like us. You know? I mean, we are all screwed up, with a few exceptions possibly. <laughs> but these exceptions, they are really rare, I think. And with Lama Sopa, I can have really some confidence because I have been around him and I saw him acting day and night. Yeah? I mean, I have been around him day and night. And uh, I, I, I couldn't see a trace of self-occupation. He never takes a break for himself, not even a cup of tea. Offering the cup of tea for all sentient beings is more important for him than drinking it.
and then in in a, in a being like that, I mean, it's almost like it's almost not proper to call that uh, Lama Sopa a human. <laughs> I mean, he's in a human body, but he's not of this world. Um, it then actually, it, it, you know, like this, uh, there's a instruction like make every breath, you know, bodhicitta, you know, and but Lama Sopa, that seems to be true that every in breath and every out breath is offered uh, uh, to 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 everyone, and. Um, we can have the inspiration or the aspiration to grow into that. And this is very beautiful, it's very powerful. That's why we take the Bodhisattva vow. So we we we, we could really celebrate and uh, and 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 rejoice in our in our aspiration and our intention, even if sometimes that feels a bit awkward, you know. Or like un unhonest, like I mean, if you know, if you say, "May I be of benefit to all beings today," and then constantly your reactivity uh, surfaces, um, then sometimes it feels like, yeah, it feels not right, or you you feel like a like a liar, yeah, uh, but. Um, to plant this energy of this inspiration is so beautiful, so powerful. It's the most beautiful thought we can have, you know. The, and it's it's our compass. Yeah? It's the direction we are on the path. Yeah? And that is a that is a reason for a healthy confidence and a healthy sense of meaning in one's life. May I ask you something again? Yes. I was thinking about the, the thing about saying those words, the planting the seed. Uh, I have my daily prayers, and because I've done them every day for many years, mm. I know that sometimes I just say them and don't reflect much about it. Yeah. <laughs> I say it, and at the same time, I think about something else. Mm. And... Uh, Mm. Sometimes it's it's easier for me if I only think something really simple, like in the morning, like may I do a good job today, or like mm. something that is uh, more practical. I don't know if you have some advice on how to balance that in a good way. When the words become, it's like I become immune to the words. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Mm. I mean, first, I, I think uh, even saying the words, uh, and even if you know if it's just mm, sound, um, I think in this case I would say there's some benefit because they it's still something like I noticed some of the prayers. Um, like I have done the six session guru yoga now for like 15 years or something like that. And uh, 
and uh, no, I, I, I don't do them in, in a formal practice, but like they just happen in daily life. And, and some of the sentences, because I have them say, I have said them so much, so they are so close that, you know, they kind of, they, they pop in, uh, um, and, uh, I think I'm so familiar with these verses, I can say them at my death time, you know, like with, with the rest of my conceptual thought, uh, thoughts, I think, uh, you know, they, they could re refer, re resurface because, uh, you know, they are much more familiar to me than any other song or, uh, you know, uh, any other advertising song or something like that. Um, uh, so I think there's uh, there's some some benefit in it, and then what you say there's also sometimes the possibility to uh, you know, first connect with your body and uh, you know, say the words with a deeper meaning, and but then also for me it is important to read text like this and then stumble upon uh, verses uh, which. Uh, express the same the same in a different way, maybe with a different metaphor or with slightly different words, and then then there's again some freshness. And definitely, it is possible to kind of retranslate uh, the verses you you say, or uh, as you say, to make something very simple either as an addition uh, to the prayer, so that's possible, uh, because also you know, if one feels I have, to, um, I have to fulfill my commitments and you know, there might be some fear, if I don't say the exact words, then I don't fulfill the, the commitment. Of course, that's ignorance, but you know, I mean, it's in us, yeah? this kind of fear. If I don't say it like exactly like this, uh, um, but then, in addition, or if one is brave enough to, you know, for some time to drop these practices and to ask yourself, so what's the essence of these practices and I, how can I put this into my own words, uh, then uh, definitely I, I think that's possible. Uh, because, I mean, these words, they, are, they have been translated in different ways and uh, so I think there's no no problem in and and even if we kind of slightly misunderstand them um, in our own interpretation, then I think for me it's always more important to be somewhat connected with uh, an authentic uh, part of me and with the experience of these words. And some of the things. Um, uh, they can be expressed much more simply, yeah? so um, just one sentence comes to my mind, which I have been saying now uh, often in um, in a dedication, uh, and that's from uh, His Holiness, uh, one of the dedication prayer of His Holiness, and it is a simple sentence: "May people look after each other." Yeah, and it, it, that touches me. And uh, it, it's a simple prayer 
And it's so powerful. I mean, if that would happen, you know, I mean, that's all we need, that people look after each other. And when I say that, and maybe I use this sentence a few years now, it, for me, it has not lost its uh, touching quality, its opening quality. So I could, of course, now think, oh, I need to all go through all these dedication prayers of Lama Sopa, and I have to say them exactly that way, and this and that, and long life prayer, and stuff like this. And I'm so tired and sick of this. Yeah? And, and I'm aware that there is teachers who would say, you have to do this. You, know? you have to, to say these words and you have to stick to the, uh, to the text. But you know, I gave up on that one. I think it's a mistaken teaching. But you know, don't trust me in that. I'm, <laughs> I'm just sharing my, my, my own way uh, to... Uh, to handle, uh, to, uh, to work with this. Um, and uh, I've also I've learned that a bit uh, in all these years when I was in Nalanda Monastery because we did this long, I mean, we did every, every morning for eight years. I didn't, I, I missed one, se one session. I'm really, <laughs> I, I'm really a goody, goody boy. In eight years, imagine that. Yeah, and that one session I missed because I consciously decided to stay in bed <laughs> because I thought, "Oh, you are a freak! You know, everyone is missing session, and you are there every morning." So I stayed sweating. You know, I had almost a panic attack. <laughs> I just didn't go, you know, just to establish my freedom. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but uh, what I learned uh, in these, you know, hours of hours and a lot of it in Tibetan, and uh, so what I how how what I did uh, more and more was I just picked a few things in that practice. Yeah, I picked that, and I I I uh, uh, so these things which at that time were touching me, and and that's what I then focused on. Yeah? I did also blah blah blah, you know, all the Tibetan singing and so on. Uh, but uh, I, I, I was touched by a certain aspects in the practice, and th and that changed, yeah, throughout uh, uh, throughout the years. That there were different aspects of the practice which suddenly made sense to me, and and but uh, you know, I'm I'm I really want when I do any kind of practice, I want uh, I want this pr this practice to to touch me. I want to feel it. And if it doesn't, then I, I, uh, I, I retranslate it, or I do, I do it differently, or I simplify it. And then with you know the Tibetan prayers, for example, I would just do shamatha practice on sound. <laughs> that was my practice, you know, uh, enjoying the movement of singing and the togetherness in the singing. Uh, that th that's how I gave that that time then meaning for me. Yeah. I think it's a sad thing that many Tibetan practitioners they are stuck with these hours of practice, 
satanas called satanas you know text complicated and nothing changes there's no experience like 20 years of practice and 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 uh, there's no no transformation happening yeah? Yeah. may i say something yeah yeah um, yeah i i think it's very liberating the things you talk about right mm. now because, uh, i mean you must see all this as tools to to, to be awake yeah. to get uh, and if the tool doesn't tell you anything or work for you yes. what's the point <laughs> i can't imagine how it is to be in a monastery for that long time i i mean i have no experience of this but but still if if any tool doesn't work for you i mean it's it's not yeah. point. Uh, that's uh, i agree with that but as a uh, as a practitioner you know in the tibetan tradition you know with commitments and uh, you know the interpretation of the teachings which are taught in the west still it's really it's it's a hard a hard journey uh, to find your find to find your own uh, your own way in this yeah because you know the tibetans how they how it is taught it's still a lot of base a lot based on instilling fear and guilt yeah and it's very difficult for us as westerners to not fall into that trap and lose the connection uh, with one's practice, but keeping on doing it just because one is afraid. Yeah? And the Tibetans, uh, they are much more relaxed with that. Yeah? So, uh, you know, when I, uh, you know, when I talked with some of the, like the Geisha who was teaching in, in Nalanda, and I, I asked him how he is doing the, you know all, all the commitments connected with the with the uh, with the initiation he received, and, and he said, "You know, I'm just saying the mantra once to to keep the to keep the connection, and then the essence of practice is bodhicitta and emptiness. Uh, so it's not reading two hours a text. Yeah, that's not uh, you know, so the." You you keep the samaya with uh, with the initiations and with your teacher. If these two things, bodhicitta and emptiness, are somewhere present in your reflection, in your practice, in in your prayers, yeah. uh, but there's a lot of fear, and uh, you uh, with many uh, teachers, it's very heretic what I'm saying now. So you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> don't, don't, no, you have to, that, that's the thing, you have to find your own way in this. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't take the responsibility for that. I can just share how I uh, try to find my, my way in this. Yeah? Um, and so many, many teachers, I have, I have asked these kind of questions, uh, quite a lot of cases because People come to me with this uh, with this uh, struggle, you know, that they, they have taken some tantric initiations and they have the commitments and and it's a pressure for them and um, 
and so then I asked them, and it's like 95% of these teachers I ask, they gave me answers I didn't want to hear. <laughs> but, but luckily, I found a few uh, who, uh, who uh, showed me the, the direction I just tried to describe. Yeah? And, and it is there. I mean, like in the six-session guru yoga, you know, there is, uh, there is, for example, a four-line prayer which covers the whole thing. Yeah? So, yeah, and then, and then you can retranslate that four lines. You, know? you can make like a, a, um, a, a journey with it, you know? like just looking into the Tibetan words, how they are translated, what do they mean, and then you can play with different versions and make your own songs. You can write a melody for it, you know, make a painting. Uh, so, uh, so you can, uh, you can uh, uh, allow your own creativity to, to make a part of uh, the journey with, uh, with that uh, practice of the six-session Guru Yoga. It's, it's also um, in, the, in the Geluk tradition, um, uh, the monks who, who study so much, so they also take initiations, and it's very clear that uh, they are told, you know, you, you don't do the practice. You you focus now on this. Yeah. So you took the initiation, and there's a there's a blessing, and there's a seed, but now. You study emptiness, so that's what you focus on. There's no time for doing a two-hour tantric practice a, a day. So, not, I mean, if the monks can do that, so I have no hesitation to say that to a mother. Yeah. So instead of doing your two hours um, uh, uh, sadhana, just uh, you know, uh, count the the uh, count the times you clean up your baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how do you call that? Windel. Uh, What's that in English? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know how many uh, how many of these paper things have you removed and thrown away? Yeah. So so not one hundred thousand vajrasattva uh, uh, mantra, but you know ten thousand of those. Yeah. Can I say something? Yes. Um. But Arthur knows your name. Yeah, I think so. She said, Sarah, um, Sarah. okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I really agree. Like, and I, I can feel it also. Like, sometimes it's resistance, but I think sometimes it's also good and um, to go into this resistance, no, and to, to, to do these prayers, even if your mm -hmm. mini says, no, why should I do this? Mm -hmm. No, I don't see the sense. I really remember in my yoga formation for um, that last four years, we had Kanayama week uh, ten ten days, and every day three hours, three exercises, breathing exercises, and my resistance were so strong, and but it was really good because I just like um I made like friendship my with my resistance and I was just sitting there and I tried to relax uh, mm. in this so I think it can also be a, mm. an opportunity no like probably not for too long time but yeah, like, yeah. Huh. So to grow a little bit in this 
Still, no? It's a good yeah. addition, Katharina. Yes, thank you. Uh, that again shows how complex uh, complex it is. Yeah, because I I would also sometimes say a bit along these lines. Yeah, um, and I also have have had the experience, uh, as you described, for example, with the Guru Puja in Nalanda. So there was also uh, the the benefit of. Uh, what was that? Ah, yes, some theory or some. So there is something there. Yeah, I agree. Mm. But I just have one comment on that. Yeah. Uh, I I started to do yoga when I was quite young, and I was so ambitious. Uh, I, uh, I every morning. I did this. I was just a teenager and very ambitious, and I ruined it completely for me. <laughs> so, see, I was too too ambitious. Yeah, I, I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, you see how complex it is because now yeah. now Asa is again a bit kind of balancing what Katarina said. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, in so we can see that there is like how to find the middle path. Yeah. Yeah. And not and, and not not to go into the extremes. Yeah. Oh. So I I have I have talked a certain extreme way, and then Katarina balanced it out a bit, and and, and so and and this kind of journey which we now uh, do in the group, that's also a part. That's also internally. It's happening internally in all of us. Yes, and, and even more strange is that uh, this autumn. I saw a sign uh, in my neighborhood about the yoga class, and I suddenly I, I felt uh, maybe I should try it again, and this time it was fun. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. it's very complex. Yeah, I, uh, yes, yeah. And I went through all of this. Also, this what you just did describe because it. At one point, that was in the last year when I was a monk, I met uh, one of my teachers, Peter Fenner. And he has this radical teachings, a teaching of giving up your practice. You know? uh, so I just dropped the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and then I was surprised that uh, you know, some of the um, practices I kept on doing a bit with uh, the thought of Katharina, yeah? so being with the resistance and trusting the teacher. So, but then I, I just, you know, I just dropped the whole thing. All commitments, you know, they just went down. <laughs> it was so scary. You know, I was just waiting for hell to open. <laughs> and, 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 and then after a few months, uh, I, some of the things, they just refer, resurfaced, yeah? uh, but completely different. Because it was not uh, coming from duty and guilt and fear, it was just it was there in me through habit, and I started to enjoy it. And uh, you know, and I was not interested if I would fulfill a commitment or something, but I actually started to fulfill my commitments again. And there was no uh, there was no duty in it. It just happened, and there was joy and creativity in it, and reflecting on the essence of these practices. So yeah, yeah, it's good. So, can I comment? Yeah. 
my name is Lena here in Stockholm, and uh, I'm very new to all this, but uh, 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 I would like to say that uh, I was somehow hearing from Sara this that uh, not not quite being in the world with the heart. Uh, but uh, for me, it comes like a reflection on um, uh, not always, but mostly in the summertime, I do a lot of walking in the countryside. And it's kind of uh, agricultural countryside. So there is not so much, it's not like going in a nice park where you can go round in different directions. It's kind mm. of, uh, you know, you, you can walk this way or that way. Are we going this way or that way? And we walk with friends and we do the same walk almost all the time. Mm. And it takes uh, some hours and we kind of do this walk. And, and the pace might differ a little bit. But then the weather differs and maybe the mm. talk differs a bit or maybe there are some somebody is a bit annoyed about something or is worried and uh, yeah. oh it might start raining and or it might not or there's a dog barking or and kind of all these small things and that it is now spring or it is now summer or it's now fall or it is even winter it is kind of part of the walk so I find that for me I could make the association of mm. your practice with these prayers mm. or, or so as a walk and so you make your walk and see what it looks like today. And maybe you're not thinking about where you're walking at all. It's just you're, move, you're moving your legs without thinking. And that's also okay. What happens is, for every time you do the walk, all the other walks are there with you. It's funny. They kind of accompany you. And that's what I find such a beautiful... I can think of these walks and how they are just kind of multitude of the same the same mm. place, same walk, the same steps, the same and just the trees are changing a bit. Do you follow me somehow in image? So I'm beautiful. <laughs> wow, this is so good. <laughs> this is really a good addition to this discussion. It becomes more complex and complex, but beautiful, yeah. One, one, all with your description, you almost want to do the two-hour sadhana again <laughs> and trying it out. What you say, this is—I will definitely remember this one. Yeah. If at one point I have time for two hours to talk about this topic, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, it becomes really rich. Mm. Yes. Yes, hello. Um, I'm also thinking about that in the beginning when you, I mean, I remember when being new to Buddhist, Buddhist philosophy, um, it seems that, that if, the more the study you study, the more complex it becomes as well. Because it's, I mean, to begin with, you need to remove the major obstacles, the obvious delusions, <laughs> but then it feels as if you kind of you can become in this kind of zone where if you say the prayer slightly wrong, you offend the Buddhas or, you know, like it sounds like it goes into the detail. Whereas you're like in the, in, on the, doing the practice, you know, you didn't do it 10 years ago, but then, so it, in some levels you kind of, 
uh, engage yourself deeper. But on the other hand, you're also at risk of uh, falling off. I don't know this kind of path because of some kind of mm -hmm. idea of you making a mistake. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, um, it's right. Um, so I, I really appreciate that I had this eight, uh, eight years with uh, this intensive journey with the Guru Puja because uh, um, it became deeper and deeper. My understanding grew. So um, if I would have dropped it after a year, uh, then I would have missed uh, the profundity and the richness uh, uh, of the, of this ritual because it literally needed like five years of study uh, to kind of start to understand some of the stuff yeah so that's uh, so that's uh, again more a point towards uh, sticking somewhat with the practice and, and and understanding as a beginner we can't have all the understanding right now which we will have in five years or in ten years. And we start with a short practice of Tonglen in a nutshell and relying on silence. So with the in-breath, opening to the situation, to your inner and outer world, Just slowing down. Shifting from doing to being. And with the out-breath, possibly softening the belly, the shoulders. And then after a while, at the end of the out-breath, to listen to just rest, so that the natural silence of this moment can reveal itself. And then you rest there. In silence and movement. Allow the silence to penetrate your world, the loving silence.
and returning, resting, present moment awareness, spacious aliveness. It's all within awareness, it's all inside, inside of consciousness, in the nature of consciousness. Vividly appearing like rainbows, like a dream, but unfindable, there's no substance there. made from silence. And then we open our eyes again if they were closed. Yeah, at the end of a session like this, uh, if you do it in the morning, uh, one could uh, put the intention or the prayer, may I remember this little journey <coughs> throughout the day uh, again and again. 
in the thirty in the in the thirty second meditation. And then a sentence like rely on silence or some other anchors, reminders, then you will find yourself doing this uh, possibly every hour or at least a few times a day. Some people use the meditation app to, you know, in, the, in the style of Thich Nhat Hanh's mindfulness spell, which is exactly that. So throughout the day there is a sound and in that moment everyone pauses and slows down and, and does that little journey. So let's uh, go to the next. This first thirty two you undermine yourself when you act emotionally and grumble about the imperfection of other bodhisattvas, of the imperfection of those who have entered the great way, don't say anything. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. And it's actually very connected with verse 33, so I'm also reading that. When you scrabble with others about status and rewards, you undermine learning, reflection and meditation. Let go, let go of any investment in your family circle or the circle with those who support you. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. And it's actually slightly different, but then the next verse is about criticizing others or um, so let's uh, talk about this uh, topic of uh, criticizing others, you know, talking badly about others, uh, seeing the mistakes in others, uh, and uh, so emphasizing uh, the bodhisattvas. And of course, from the outside appearance, we can't uh, we can't say if someone is on the bodhisattva path or not. Um, so it's, uh, it applies uh, to everyone. So this, uh, for, for us, this is the important topic uh, of becoming aware of the inner judge, yeah, the inner critic, which then uh, reflects also how we look upon others. So this has to do with yeah, or you all probably reflected upon this uh, and you have worked on that and uh, it's a topic I have been teaching since many years and I come back to it you know, starting with uh, many years ago when Tara Brach uh, published her first book uh, Radical Acceptance which is a book on, on, on the topic of the inner critic, of the inner judge. 
And uh, in my experience, in my own life, but also working with people, uh, this is probably one of the one of the inner processes which um, contribute to all our tension and struggle and unhappiness. Uh, and it's it's very strong in Westerners, and it was difficult, and it is still difficult for Tibetans to get that in us, to see that in us. Some some do, like Lama Yesha, uh, but I think a teacher like Lama Sopa, I'm not sure if he is aware of the intensity of that mental sickness in the West. Yeah? So the way he teaches, um, I can see that it catches people often in that point. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on in the FPMT, you know, of judging each other and pressuring each, each other and uh, making uh, students feel guilty. Um, so it's and uh, so it's Lama Yeshe in the FPMT who balances that out. Yeah. And you can uh, you can read you can see when when you read his books or you listen to the old videos uh, that he is not uh, uh, triggering that point. Yeah? So he's more emphasizing that we uh, that uh, he's more emphasizing the goodness in us, the Buddha nature in us, and is talking about that. Yeah? And that's what we often lack. So we lack the connection and the trust in our goodness. Uh, so we have more a sense that something in me is screwed up, something is wrong. Uh, and um, if anyone would see who I, who I am really, uh, then they would reject me. Uh, and there's shame, guilt, uh, and the mantra of I'm not good enough. Yeah. And Obviously, that, that kind of uh, uh, habit of uh, looking into your own inner life, that's also the way we look at other people. And there's almost sometimes a bit of joy in, uh, in finding the mistakes and failures and um, uh, in, in, in other people, you know, particularly in teachers, but also in fellow practitioners. Yeah? Something in us. It's uh, it's interesting to observe what what, what do we get out of it uh, to uh, to talk about uh, to slander to talk about the behind the back of people. Uh, so what is it? What we why we why do we do that? And and, and what do we get out of this? Yeah. It's a, it's a very strong culture in some companies, for example, but also in centers. Yeah? Uh, I remember the first time when I came uh, to Nalanda Monastery, uh, and the monk uh, who picked me up, the first thing he, was, he did was to talk about the screwed up people in the, in the monastery. And, and that was not a... And that was not like a, just uh, an exception. It's it's more it's more the common thing. Yeah. Um, so of course the, the the solution here is to uh, address that first in yourself. Yeah. To uh, uh, to become aware um, of 
the harshness with which you talk with yourself, the whip you are using, um, the constant feeling of fa falling short, uh, the constant feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable as I am, uh, and it's understanding in a culture, uh, you know, a Christian culture first, the misinterpretation of the Christian teaching, they, they, they support that feeling of being a sinner, uh, you know, and, and then also mm, growing up in a society and in families where it was about the output, yeah. Uh, so we, as children, we often didn't feel seen and accepted as who we are, uh, but our parents, they tried to shape us uh, in, in, in a way they thought uh, uh, would be good for us. Yeah? Uh, so we developed that mistrust in our qualities and in, in, in our being. Yeah? And many people, they have the feeling that they don't fit in yeah? because they feel they don't have space to express themselves because they have they have been told that you know you're too loud or you're too too quiet or uh, you, you are too playful or you don't play enough or um yeah, you you are you are not smart enough or you're too smart um you, know, you you are joyful you're too joyful or you you are too uh, too sad yeah so um and uh, a Tibetan uh, Tibetans, they don't have that as much because they grew up in a culture of uh, welcoming uh, every child as a potential Buddha, yeah, with Buddha nature, with the basic goodness. Yeah. And if you grow up in that trust, that in in, in that deep trust in your own sanity, um, that's a very different thing than 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 us. Yeah. And then uh, we bring this uh, judgmental, critical view on ourselves, we bring that to the teachings. Yeah? So also uh, the teachings, they land in our psyche as a burden, as something where we don't feel good enough, where we pressure ourselves, where we have ideals about how we should be and not a lot of space who we are already. Yeah? One of my uh, favorite practices regarding that, I mean, there's the work of Tara Brach. Yeah? Uh, a few years ago, there was a, an online conference with Sound True, Sounds True, yeah, with uh, Tami is her name, the, the owner of that publishing uh, organization, and it was a it was a conference about. Uh, acceptance self-acceptance yeah? i think it's still there for free so and there's like uh, spiritual teachers and therapists um, and definitely we need to look into uh, uh, therapeutical thinking uh, because you are not going to find uh, remedies and healing uh, within the traditional tibetan tradition yeah? so it it has to do also with our curiosity towards our 
psychological history and the culture we're living in and how much we influenced by that. And you don't find that kind of information and that kind of wisdom in the traditional teachings. So there's also then the work of uh, Christy Neff and Christopher Germer. Yeah? They work together. Uh, they, they started that separately, you know, uh, and they both wrote books about self-compassion. Um, so that's, uh, that's also very useful uh, to look into that. And I got to uh, like um, a very simple mantra uh, regarding uh, this, and that is, I love myself. Yeah. And maybe you know, some of you have Listen to a, a guided meditation where I, you know, invite you into this sentence you know, with different words. Maybe uh, I love myself is maybe a little too much for some people, uh, but you know, I, I love myself, and and when I'm afraid, I love myself more because I deserve to be loved more, not less. Uh, so that's basically the the instruction of that uh, reflections and. It's quite amazing for me still, if I remember, uh, when there's uh, contraction, when there's tension, when there's unhappiness in me, then um, then just I love myself. I can immediately feel how there's a relief, yeah? there's space. Uh, so the, the, the rejection towards how I feel lessens. And instead of uh, responding with harshness, whatever it is, you know, um, there's uh, there's acceptance, and then and then I then I can feel how the emotion uh, is not that heavy anymore. So it's uh, it's a beautiful, simple daily practice, which is also one of the practices when we go to the first practicing day and night. Uh, so I think that that fits almost always. You know, this uh, this I love myself, and then finding ways to get a body sense of allowing yourself to be loved by yourself. Yeah, I mean, how does that feel? Yeah, and 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 that takes time. You know, the the guru mentor bonding process is one of the traditional methods which can help us to get a. To get a sense of um, of uh, a body felt sense of unconditional love, which we might not have met uh, in our life. So how how would our body know? How would our system know how it is? Uh, just a moment. How how would our body know how it is uh, uh, to be loved? Yeah? And I think that makes also the the relationship to a Tibetan teacher. Uh, so powerful because for many people it's the first time when they meet a teacher like uh, His Holiness or you know, other other uh, t teachers who embody this quality that for the first time in their life they feel how it is to be genuinely loved yeah, without any agenda, without any manipulation but like unconditionally. And how, how, how does that feel? And uh, for those who have not had that connection, uh, you know, maybe you can remember moments in your life 
from childhood or you know, later with your partner, uh, uh, where you where you relax into that feeling. Wow, this person really sees me. Usually, at one point, we screw it up, but you know there there are these moments. I mean, we screw it up in a relationship. It it gets into the opposite, like the inner judges jump up in both of us, and we see the negative aspects suddenly. But uh, uh, there's there is these moments where you completely relax into the arms of your partner, where you feel safe and seen and loved. Yeah? And then to remember that. And to uh, to uh, to bring this into the into the into the words of I love myself. Yes, you wanted to say something. Okay. No, you are unmuted. You you are unmuted. Hold on. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I don't. Know. Can Hold I? Do? do you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. It's a bit. My computer is, uh, ah, is a okay. bit slow. So. <laughs> um. Well. Um. I was thinking about the. Uh. I mean, one feeling that I have in. Regards to this, is the kind of the self-grasping, the idea of satisfaction that you you kind of have a somehow a, a projection of yourself or um, that you cling on to, that is somehow that I feel with you not think about yourself, thinking about others, the kind of uh, to work with the generosity of giving in a way. By even if you don't do it with a like full realization or something, but the act of giving a creates positive that makes you feel better. <laughs> so I, in a way, I feel like I don't know. It's I feel like it's this miser that you think, oh, well, I'm so unfortunate and this and that, and then you know you cling on to the negative aspects rather than focusing on uh, the other. The yeah, I don't know. Something about uh, mm. what you can do instead of what you want to receive. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. So there is uh, uh, the the benefits of um, dualistic giving for sure, and it is usually contaminated. So there is uh, often in in dualistic giving there is often Yes, it feels good, unless uh, in that moment uh, the dualistic giving is really genuine, yeah, without agenda. And of course, that happens. So then, then that giving would be more in the co in would be more in the direction of wise giving. Yeah. yeah. So as long as we can only give dualistically, then that's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and the the reason for judging ourselves, the root cause for judging ourselves, or the contamination, the narcissistic contamination in in our actions, um, is uh, self grasping. So that's uh, so that's uh, in the long run. 
we deconstruct uh, the self-grasping, the grasping onto an independent, solid, inherently existing I. And then, and that would undermine and uh, relax the contamination in our actions. But as long as there is the self-grasping, giving is good, yeah? or the other perfections, the other far-reaching attitudes, even if they are built on a bit of self-grasping, it still, it still creates good energy. Obviously, we can feel it. Yeah? It's good uh, that you mentioned that, uh, because uh, when I talk about the, the, the contaminated aspect, uh, I'm not doing that to undermine our dualistic generosity. Yeah? Any question about or comment about the topic of judging ourselves and others, which uh, cover two of these, uh, these verses? And as with all other practices, Ken um, McLeod uh, uh, gives the direction of uh, Tonglen with the inner judge, yeah? feeling, loving, seeing, and resting in silence, and then and then acting yeah, from a more relaxed space. Yeah. So I have a question. Yeah. I'm sure, you you have talked with yourself, but I've recently had this experience with my uh, son. Uh, he's been extremely uh, paralyzed by these inner critics, uh, and it's very and not, I mean, ob obviously, he, he doesn't love himself at all. Mm. Mm. Uh, and this is somewhere, it's, it's very painful to, to watch this and, mm. and, and to see him suffer. And, and uh, I've tried in so many ways to, to mm. make him see, see it in a, in a different way. But it, it's, like, mm. it's like a hard rock. It, it doesn't... Mm. And I feel so desperate about about it. it. It's it's just there. It doesn't go away. Mm. It contaminates everything in his way. Mm. And I I also see exactly the inner critic. He is criticizing himself and judging himself all the time. But at the same time, he's he's criticizing others. Of course, uh, you can you mm. can see easily. Mm. But it's kind of, I don't know if you have any advice what to do. I, mm. I mean, it's so frustrating to, to see this, and, and, and there's, mm. I feel so hard to help. Mm. Yeah, maybe this is a good question to bring into the break uh, for all of us because um, uh, I guess we all have, we all see that in people and, uh, you know, it's, uh, we wish they would see their beauty and their uniqueness and we wish we could uh, communicate it, yeah, because often it happens that we 
are able to love a person more that, than this person loves him or herself. It's, it's a quite common experience. And, and uh, then it's uh, so how to, how to be in that kind of situation. You know? Particularly, of course, it's so hard when it's a child. Yeah? Because you have always seen the uniqueness and the beauty in your child. I mean, it's in your from the first moment he came out, yeah, and and uh, the the commitment of the mother and father uh, to uh, to support this being is, is very very strong. It's such a powerful, beautiful force. Yeah, it is really resembling a bodhicitta. Yeah, because uh, that's where most people for the first time maybe in their life, take the needs of another person more important than their own. And, and, and that, is, uh, that is like uh, the quality of bodhicitta. It's, it's regarding one being, but at least one being. Yeah? Uh, so uh, yeah, it's very painful uh, to, um, to see that. Yeah, let's uh, kind of bring this with us uh, into the break and... Um, then maybe we can talk about this after, uh, because I think that's uh, that's a very important topic for us, and a reflection on this also uh, would help us to find a way with our internal family system. Yeah, because there's not only the outside uh, the outside son and the outside daughter, but there's also the inside daughter and uh, the inside son. And um, and that's a good place to start. Uh, obviously, our children learn a lot on how we are in our life. Yeah. So it's it's often how old is he, how old is your son? Uh, he's twenty twenty three. Yeah, he's out of the house. I mean, he's yeah. The the the, the influence of the mother is. <laughs> it's not so big anymore. Actually, any anything the mother tries to do would be maybe contra contraproductive. Yeah, yes, more, I, I always, more I, I, resistance and more insisting and even going deeper there. You know, just because mother wants to uh, wants to have it differently. Yeah? So yes, I try to shut up mostly. Yeah, so it seems that uh, there is more the question for. Uh, the inner work, yeah. So, what can I do internally uh, with uh, with the image of my son and with my inner son and with my inner daughter? Yeah? So that's more, I guess, the, the direction to go. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, yeah. So let's think about it. Yeah? Or, or not, but uh, let, let's keep it as an open question, as an inquiry for, uh, for, for one o'clock. So, welcome back. And let's start with a short practice of Tonglen in a nutshell, and relying on silence. So we take the time to adjust our posture and allow the body to settle. And then 
We allow our, our breath to guide us into the felt sense of our body as it is. It's an effortless practice, or it's not a practice of doing something, but actually of relaxing the doing. And you can do this with open or closed eyes. Keeping the awareness open with the environment and also with the presence in the group. but also becoming more aware of the inner weather, where in the body it is somewhat more tense, where does it flow more lightly, where are you numb? And then with the out-breath softening the belly and then the shoulders, and sliding into present moment awareness. Then in the gap between the breaths and in the gap between the thoughts, we get the glimpse of silence, of space, which is pervading everything. And if we start to manipulate our experience and we can stop it, then you, we relax. Otherwise, we just allow everything to move as it wants to move. We meditate with a body like a mountain and a heart like the sky. Receiving like the mountain, the weather, the rain and the sunshine, and like the sky, our heart is not close to anything. Then if you get entangled into the inner dialogue, you 
slide back into the felt sense of your body. If there's the loving gaze needed, the presence of unconditioned love, we can call upon and invite our bodhisattva guides, our mentors. And these angels, they fill the space around you and the space between us. And we are just absorbing, breathing in, the warmth, the courage, the wisdom, the vitality. Rely on silence. Then the appearances, they are recognized as appearances within consciousness, vividly appearing like rainbows, like dreams, but empty, like a dream, like a rainbow. And then we can spread compassionate presence into our world, maybe with the outbreaths, as if we push the loving silence, the loving stillness from our being into our environment, and being light, being space, being loving space.
present moment awareness, spacious aliveness. Vastness, stillness. We can appreciate that right now. There's countless people who are like us in the presence of the Divine. Then we can conclude this short meditation with an intention to return here as often as possible. And return here uh, means actually that you recognize that you're already here. You never leave this space. And we just need to remember that we are already here. And may we do that again and again for short moments until they become continuous for the benefit of all. Rely on silence. So maybe uh, I can uh, start by returning to the last question, the last theme about uh, the inner judge, the inner critic, and particular in uh, you know what can we do when people we love uh, are inflicted and. Um, so I don't have children, so I guess it's difficult for someone without children to fathom the pain of uh, a mother or a father. Uh, I mean, one can imagine a little, and we all have experiences uh, in the same direction, but uh, I think from father and mothers, uh, that's very 
it's very special. It's a different thing to experience it yourself rather than thinking that you could uh, empathize or walk in the shoes of a father and mother. But I want to uh, just share my own reflections, and basically I said it already before. that here as a practitioner we would uh, we would um, we always start with our own inner life so that's what what we learn that that's what we get tools f- to and here in the text relying on silence and tonglen so that would be one of the toolbox box uh, uh, one of the tools for the bodhisattva mother and I'm sure there's others, but um, since we are in this text now, uh, we could then always ask the question when we learn certain practices, so how can I apply this method uh, in, in this situation, in this particular situation, uh, working with my own inner life? And it's just asking the question, yeah? So, and yeah, sometimes there's... Uh, there needs to be a bit of testing and creativity, uh, but I think one can uh, apply uh, many different uh, teachings and techniques uh, from the from the Buddhist uh, tradition to every situation. It's just a matter of uh, changing it lightly and and also just asking the question is is so amazing because uh, then you confirm to yourself it's about my inner life. Uh, it's it's that's that's where I start to work. Not not over there. Not not in another person. And uh, one thought I just had was in the same way we could uh, judge our inner judge or criticize our criticizer and trying to get rid of him. In the same way we would try to do this with another person and by doing that we imply to that person hey something is wrong with you you should be different your feelings are wrong yeah there's something wrong with you and i know how to fix it yeah and and and, and that's and that's in generally a very uh, unconstructive attitude towards someone who is in a crisis because whatever we try to fix or control uh, it falls into resistance and becomes more solidified and becomes more real than it is yeah? by our resistance uh, by our trying to fix and control it so the and that's also uh, uh, that's actually true for the work with all our internally family system yeah. Uh, so, in not to not to uh, not to fix and control and judge, but to uh, to be compassionate, to be loving, to yeah, loving attention, yeah, and inviting that that family member back. That family family member, the inner critic here, which you really want to have out of the house, <laughs> but. but that's first that's not possible 
because then they you know they 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 just come in again you know in our dreams you know, they 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 break in through the windows uh, it's it's like we can't keep our children outside of the house yeah in our in the internal family system we have to invite them back to the table even if they are really dirty and smelling and and they don't behave yeah? so that, that that's um and that's very hard that's in 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 uh, in uh, in in any case when we are caregivers uh, so it's very hard to uh, uh, become aware of the advice giving and of the trying to trying to change something uh, and then to and then to rely on silence yeah so shut your mouth shut your mouth mother <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, I think that's that dynamic is particularly uh, uh, difficult between mother, mother and son. That uh, would be probably easier with a daughter yeah, <laughs> than, than with a son. Um, and also. Uh, mm, no, I mentioned the patience, which comes from seeing the complexity of situations. So that would be, you know, bringing the karmic view into it, but also this view that all, all of us, including our children and our partners, they are streams of consciousness, uh, beginningless streams. Yeah. So I'm not trying to convince you of that. It's just one, one way to look at each other. Uh, to see us as as streams of consciousness with a long history, and the journey we make together is very short. It's a very short part of the of the journey of this uh, stream of consciousness, and that stream of consciousness brought his or her karmic energy with him or her. So they were not born as a as a like a blank slate, yeah, but already as a person. And and then sometimes when they are our children, they are in our care for a while, a very short while, yeah. And of course we have impact on them, yeah, and obviously we all try our best, but we shouldn't also not overestimate our role in the life of people, even not in the life of our children. That they they have their own their own journey, and 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 that's what a mother needs to do from the first day to cut the cord, yeah, and again and again cut the cord, cut the cord, cut the cord, and and then and that's so difficult, yeah. Um, so what that also means. In that stream of consciousness, there is a basic sanity. There is a basic, uh, what is called Buddha nature. There is a, a basic potential, which will prevail at in the end. Yeah, it will prevail. That's what is undestructible. So, if our daughter is a junkie and we kind of give up on her completely, we we feel she is hopeless. That's the ignorance. That's the distortion of reality. Uh, nobody is lost. Nobody is uh, is doomed. 
yeah, from this point of view, because uh, the 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 inner judge and the pain coming with it and all of that is adventitious. It is uh, uh, on the surface, and the essence of these people, which we sometimes call my son and my daughter or my partner, uh, remains untouched from that, as is as in you. So. Here again, the practice of developing a faith and a trust uh, into that within, within us, which is sane, which is good, which is healed, which is whole already. And then we start to see that in people. And it is actually uh, in, you know, in research uh, around helping and therapy, it is clearly, I mean, uh, there's so much evidence that the factor which helps people to transform is what Carl Rogers called positive, unconditioned regard. Yeah? So they found that more the therapist tries to control or fix or attack internal family systems, less effective the work is. And less the therapist actually does in the terms of giving advice and you should do this and that, um, uh, uh, less effective the therapy the therapist is. So, like a successful therapist does less and less and uh, has more and more results. Uh, and it's so it's really difficult for us to uh, to trust our presence, our loving presence. It's very difficult and to shut our mouth yeah? and, and work with the helplessness also. You know? So it has to do with uh, uh, learning to be with one's helplessness and with one's frustration and with one's anger. Yeah? Uh, and, and it's difficult to give space to that. So we, we, we want to do something. Yeah? We, want to, we want to fix the problem, maybe sometimes not even for the sake of the person, but just because we don't, we can't, we can't handle the pain. We can't be with that person. So we want to feel that person better. Yeah? And uh, this is really difficult. I mean, this is a kind of ideal, yeah, a vision. I mean, I, I, I know how even you know, with my clients, I mean, I, I have to, you know, cut my tongue so often noticing yeah, that I want to that I want to offer some advice and and it never works. But if I shut up and I give myself what the person needs, then something can emerge within our dialogue. And the best is if it emerges from the other, that it becomes the idea of the other and not something I say. Yeah? It's better that what emerges from the mouth of the other is not that good, <laughs> yeah, because it's his. Uh, then, uh, uh, from uh, that something better, I mean, it's difficult to say what is better, but something more wise from your mouth, yeah, uh, which is then not received. And particularly, like in in people who are in this kind of ex existential crisis, often through advice we make it worse because not only 
not only they feel bad, now they also feel bad because they can't do what you say. Yeah, so there's there's more pressure on them. So so they, of course they 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 hear the truth in it. Yeah, but they they can't take it in, and and then but but it still adds to the pressure. So the inner critic writes it down in this big book of failure. Yeah. So now I'm failing in everything, but I'm also failing in what mother says. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I uh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's helpful. Uh, I've tried to uh, basically try try to work with my my own uh, sense of losing control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I can't control him, of course, or his and his life. It's not no. my my task to do that anymore, if it even were when we were, of course, I try uh, my best, but not now. Uh, so uh, uh, it's the same uh, with everything in the life. Uh, you can't control it. You, you don't know what's happening. Mm. Control it. That's right. And we have no idea what is good or bad. I mean, no. maybe this crisis in, uh, in your son's life is you know will be the platform of very very beautiful things in the future. Yes. Uh, yes who maybe. knows? Yeah. Well, and, maybe not. Yeah. And that I I we have to I have to I find it most success, successful and instinctively to to try to keep calm. <laughs> Rely on silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try to keep calm yeah. as best as I can, and then yeah. I have to take care of myself. Yes. Because Yes, you have. Yeah, and then yes, and then the the, the practice of Tonglen. That's also something one can do for another yeah. person. So, I notice that you know when I do with that, that with my mother, uh, then uh, so and there in the practice of Tonglen in the giving to another person, uh, you change the internal image of your son. Yeah, so you you see them, you see him radiant. You see him. Full of self-love, yeah, and um, and of course, I mean, I I assume even you know that that has an effect, but what for sure has an effect the view we see a person, yeah, in the immediate contact. So if you see a person as screwed and hopeless. Uh, that is a different thing than believing in that person and seeing the beauty in that person, and it, in, it's in the immediate contact. So what I think one can kind of help to draw out that quality a bit, but also internally, instead of when you have a mental image of that person, you panic and you get stressed. Uh, you can have a more you can make more contact 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 with. You, with your softness, so it also reduces your own struggle in it. Yeah? But I think it has also an effect because reality is not objectively what it is for us. Yeah. So I think uh, the way we we see the world and we see people, uh, there is some magic in it somehow. Uh, may I say something? Yes. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorite topics <laughs> because I'm a mother of three mm. with two long-term sick children. Mm. 
And uh, thank you also for bringing this up because uh, I'm my heartbeat is about 180. <laughs> <laughs> so my nervous system is saying, no, you don't go in there. But my heart says, yeah. Uh. And thank you for what you said, Stefan, because uh, I wrote a poem in the lunch break because mm. it's so much I want to say, but uh, you, you covered it, but I will say it anyway. I found out that the power of the uh, the mother force this that's nothing you play with it is so deep in the cells in the consciousness i don't know i can't uh, describe it it's just mm. and one thing is to know and another thing is to understand this deeply in the body and in the soul and and just before I read the poem that I found out was actually a prayer for myself. <laughs> but I will give it to you also. It will mm. give it to you. That is also to understand like the outside problematic. Is it a disease? Is it a mental illness? Or is it, you know, because there are a lot of people know, that know a lot of it. So please search, search answer, uh, knowledge, search some knowledge that is, so we, like for me, I was uh, walking in my uh, bad habit shoes, trying to say something that, that wasn't my mind to say. But when I got knowledge about how how I could help, that also released the outer um, prison, maybe I can put it that way. But the inner work is that we can do, of course. So here's the poem. <laughs> Uh, can you put down your screen a bit so we can see your whole oh, face? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't see myself. Yeah. Please do okay. know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm. David, will it hold? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Sweetheart, rest in love. You gave him life. Rest in your goodness. Rely on silence. This is not in your hands. Get to know your helplessness. You are enough. Rest in love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank mm. you so much. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for Really. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Might I have a comment? Yes, sorry? Uh, this is Yeshenorgo Lena again? Yeah. After that wonderful poem. Ah, okay, yeah. Now I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm so far away in the picture. That's yeah, 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 yes. And you're a bit difficult to hear, but it's uh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And so that was a beautiful poem, and if I would have been wise, I would have not uh, now commented after that. But uh, I have a long way to wisdom, so I will still say, if one would dare to say something, maybe one would, would put a question uh, to... Uh, yourself, 
there, also, but also to your son, and maybe not being so interested in the answer, because uh, putting the question of a light situation, an easy situation, where he has, he has handled this. Because maybe he's coming to you and telling you all the times it didn't work, you know, but, but he can handle it, and he has handled it. And help him to, to turn his, his uh, focus to, to how he does, and maybe the easiest, the lightest, you know, how did you handle when we were having a drink with your buddies and somebody said something, which doesn't matter, but he handled it somehow, you know, like small things. And then you should not care about what he answers. You should not have a conversation about it. Just leave him to kind of pick up the thread and so on. So that's my, my suggestion. And thank you for the poem. Mm -hmm. Thank yes. you. That's also good advice. Thank you. Yes, these kind of open-ended questions. Uh, yes. Yes, I, I thought to uh, just um, come to one last uh, verse, which summarizes uh, the book, uh, and that's verse 36. In short, in everything you do, question how your mind is, moment by moment. By being constantly present and aware, you bring about what helps others. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. In short, in everything you do, question how your mind is, moment by moment. By being constantly present and aware, you bring about what helps others. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So there again, this constantly practicing day and night uh, by becoming aware, uh, by being aware, by noticing what is happening. And uh, to do this uh, for short moments again and again, so that it becomes an automatic process. Instead of the automatic process, I'm not good enough, there is uh, this question, so how, what is happening, how do I feel, uh, how can I be with this, what is happening in a more peaceful way, how can I make space for, for this. Yeah. And then also becoming more aware when we lose our mindfulness. And here mindfulness in the original uh, meaning of the word um, which is memory. Yeah. So the, the word sati, which is translated as uh, mindfulness, is, means memory. So, so the memory of being aware and then noticing when you are not. So noticing that you are in reactivity and noticing that you are in escape uh, that is mindfulness. 
Yeah. So the, the, it's not a sign of failing. It's a, it's a success. In the moment where you kind of wake up and you notice, wow, well, the last half an hour I was really swept away, and I tried to numb myself. So that that uh, so that's a moment of mindfulness. And it's a it's an informal practice. So uh, we might need to spend some time in formal practice to to explore this process, but then we allow this process to become more natural, uh, more natural, driven or inspired by our curiosity and love. Being interested in, in all situations, in, 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 into our inner life. And here inner life means a lot, uh, the, inner, the inner life in the terms of the felt sense in your body. So the, the relying on silence also points out to this uh, habit we have to make to make to to uh, to tell us stories all the time. Why is this happening? Where does it leading? Uh, and so on and judging. Uh, so and relying on silence means to again and again drop that and rely on. Uh, and that's you know what he says um, by being constantly present and aware. You bring about what helps others. So you bring about. So that's that's this uh, connecting with your loving intuition. Yeah. So not listening to the uh, to the inner dialogue, but uh, relying on silence and listening and waiting. So what, what wants to emerge? What's the next thing to do? And allowing words and action to arise from that space uh, without having a plan, yeah? without having like without looking, looking like forward and planning. Uh, so it's not like a, a strate strategic move, what you say, but you come from a, from a deeper place yeah? and then trusting that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> you unmuted yourself again. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let's. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it doesn't work, and then I press it again, and then it stops. Again. Yeah, <laughs> you need to clean uh, up your computer. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's an old one. It's uh, since uh, 2010, so we're uh, still yeah. going. <laughs> um, but um, I was thinking about this now. You know, you're always in your mind, often in the future, or in the past. It's very rarely that you're in the present, and I feel like that's a little bit what you're saying or trying to like communicating is that to uh, not wander off in your thoughts and your wishes and ideas mm -hmm. and you want to try to be in the now in the here mm -hmm. yeah um, you don't need to try to be in the here now 
because that's where you already are. Yeah? Exactly. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, more, yeah. it's more a recognition. And uh, it's, But it's uh, it, somehow not um, letting yourself go with your... Yeah. It, uh, it, the, the challenge here is that uh, the, the, we can't stop the thoughts about the past and future. So mm -hmm. it's more about uh, real seeing them, being aware of them and, uh, and kind of undermining them by not feeding them. Yeah? And, mm -hmm. and, and you feed them by trying to control them or trying to think differently. So that's also uh, regarding the inner judge. It does not work to... Uh, positive thinking does not work with the inner judge. So, you know, if you, if you have the, the sentence, I'm not good enough, not, I'm not good enough, it's just very provisional then to sit, set another narrative against it. Yeah? And then there comes this discussion between the inner judge and, and the... And the Yeah, but we all have Buddha nature, yeah? And the inner judge always wins because that's how you really feel. Yeah? So, uh, uh, so it's, it's a bit uh, tricky, but you, you are right. It's the practice of being here now, yeah? knowing, knowing that being here now is all we have and that it is already happening. So it's not a effortless practice. It's not a practice of effort. And... Uh, maybe there's when we read a verse like this, being be always present, be always aware. Uh, maybe we read it a bit as, oh, this this is so hard, this is so difficult, then I need to be so strict and so mindful all the time. But that's that is not meant here. It's 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 a joyful effort, effortless practice of just being where you already are and relaxing the doing. Yeah. It's almost, um, sorry, it's almost like you, I mean, the thoughts are so dominant that you grasp at the thoughts, it's, you know, let go of them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and that's like one of the first steps is to become aware, wow, my thoughts, they are very dominant. I see my world often through the, uh, through the, through the inner dialogue. So then you, then you become aware of that and, and not, nothing else, no antidote, you know, just, Okay, being aware, being present. My thoughts are very dominant. And then rest in silence. Can I share one thing? Yeah. I had a, an, an encounter with the inner judges the other day in meditation, and I was sort of look, feeling into them a bit, and then... I was thinking, oh, wow, here they are. <laughs> and then I was thinking, ah, but here is also love. And then I sort of leaned more into the loving mm. feeling. And that was sort of a, I don't know if you would count that as an antidote, but it, that was quite, kind of mm. helpful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like uh, noticing that something else. So, like, no? so there is one thing, but then there is also something else and there's always something else but also uh, in the communication with the internal family system in in the tibetan tradition they are called the demons yeah uh, we start to see that also the 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 inner judge is actually an expression of love 
and it was born from love. It was born from protection. So the inner judge takes this really hard job because he thinks or she thinks it's things will fall apart if I don't do this. It's really a hard job, yeah? Constantly trying to, like a mother, her child, yeah? Constantly giving advice, con constantly criticizing a little, you should do it like this and this would be better for you. And your own inner judge has also that, that protective quality and, and there's a lot of energy in it. So that would be also important to, to, uh, to integrate this, uh, this energy back and not trying to cut it all out or trying to argue uh, with, uh, with that. Yeah? But to invite that person, that inner judge back and start a dialogue with her. Yeah? And telling her, actually, I'm grown up. I'm grown up now. Thank you for protecting me. But you know we have to do something else now as a as a team, yeah. And I need you. Is there something else you need? And is there something you want to contribute? Yeah? So that would be the feeding the demon attitude, yeah? transforming the internal family members into allies. So th this, uh, the, the, no, the 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 practices of changing your inner dialogue, like in cognitive therapy, of course it has its values, but it's very provisional. It's not the solution. It can't be. You, you can't convince the inner judge of something or uh, try to dissolve it through different kinds of stories. That's not going to work. It's just a temporary relief, which is good, uh, but uh, we need to go deeper than that. And they have realized that in cognitive therapy, not in Sweden yet, but it's it's coming, guys. <laughs> uh, it has failed us, the co cognitive therapy. Yeah, that's, so I think that's a beautiful uh, first to, to close uh, this book, you know, the, um, the invitation to mindfulness, you know, mindfulness as the memory of what is important, you know, uh, and yeah, and then familiarizing ourselves with that, exactly like we did it now this weekend. So I hope I said rely on silence often enough <laughs> during this weekend uh, so, that, uh, so that we have memorized it. Yeah. So that's like, I mean, if we take that sentence with us yeah, from this weekend uh, and you know, maybe for a while use it as a bit of a mantra uh, and then, and then slowly, slowly, you will notice that it will it becomes an automatic process. Yeah? So, like I'm not good enough is an automatic process now because you have trained it so much. Then we can install more wholesome uh, processes into the internal family system. 
and then everyone there has to memorize it. <laughs> not, not only the, uh, the, the, the practitioner in us, but also the little ones and the, the, the team of judges. I mean, there's not only one. You know? So there's a, there's a whole team of judges. So they all have to memorize that, that thing. You know? We have to sell it to them. That, so that is good for them. Yeah? That they like it. It's called unifying the mind in the in the meditative tradition. Yeah, it's unifying unifying the internal family system, unifying the the team, so that we all work together towards awakening. Yeah? And you can't leave anyone behind because everyone is needed. <laughs> yeah, because everyone carries a part of your vitality, part of part of your life's energy. Every one of those guys. So that's that's called unifying the mind. So uh, on this path, there will be less and less conflict between the family members, yeah, and more and more constructive uh, working together. The, the, this image of the internal family system also makes it more obvious that there is no a boss. Unfortunately, there is no captain. <laughs> uh, we need to be more skillful than that. We can't rely on some kind of authority. You know, shut up, guys. I'm in charge. Uh, it's we have no freedom in that because there's nobody who could make that give that order and then everything okay boss we do it <laughs> that 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 position is vacant Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe we can close uh, our weekend with a uh, with a bit of appreciation and joy of our connection. Uh, so it's a it's a beautiful practice uh, in the Tibetan tradition uh, called dedication. So. Shifting again into the felt sense of your body and then just enjoying this moment of togetherness and rejoicing that we all took the time for this space, creating this space together. And it was very fruitful dialogues between us. I'm very happy about that. And we can rejoice in the courage of some people, of us, to show up and to be a bit vulnerable and share. So that's very precious to have spiritual friends like that.
and then the silence, the loving presence, which we have had glimpses of uh, during this weekend, uh, we give it away into our own internal family system, but also into the wider family system of this planet, because they are all our family, the people and the animals. So we contribute calm, peace. We contribute our intelligence, which emerges when we rely on silence. And sometimes we can clothe, uh, cl cl clothe, so uh, verbalize uh, that kind of sharing in a dedication prayer, also directing this energy to particular people, like you know, to, to the son of Asa and you know, to my mother and you know, to the people you worry about. You know. Of course, those of you who are mothers, uh, your children and your partner and your parents and And then also to our teachers, Lama Sopa, Sulinis, the Dalai Lama, you know, the centers and projects, Nishinobu and the other centers. May all beings be happy, may all beings feel safe, may all beings come home the far ones and the near ones, the small ones and the big ones, the powerful ones and the weak ones, the visible and the invisible. May all beings be happy. And may people look after each other. Also the animals. May people look after each other and the animals. And then we can particularly connect with all the unknown bodhisattvas who are right now in our hospitals and older people homes. Try their best. Not only in our countries, but uh, in those countries where it's really difficult, you know, India, Nepal, and so on. You know, countries we also have connection with, because without India and Nepal, this weekend wouldn't happen.
and then also to our own awakening, yeah? so strengthening the intention uh, for the next days and weeks and months uh, to grow up and to wake up. The practice of relying on silence and tonglen. Seeing yourself in the next days and weeks and months to pause and to travel with your breath into awareness, into presence, pausing and relying on silence. And then act from that intelligence which emerges. Okay, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this weekend. It's really nice uh, to have uh, a weekend with uh, not so many people uh, because you, you you were quite good in, in making comments and asking questions. So it's a bit more difficult when there's more people. So, And of course, it also helped that we knew each other a little from, from the previous meetings. So. I really uh, appreciate that. It's for me much more joyful than just sitting and talking. So then I, I also learn more. I learned a lot in there during this weekend through your comments. Yeah. So there is that uh, group wisdom, and that uh, that uh, is good for my business. <laughs> if I become wiser. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you for that. Uh, but uh, I, I think we, these these weekends uh, that's that's quite nice. If there's movement in between and enough breaks, uh, I think it's uh, it's good. And in Göteborg, it's similar like here. Uh, people feel safe because they know each other since many years. You know, many of them since ten years. Uh, so it's uh, it's a good group to uh, to join. And I'm sure there will be exchange and uh, questions. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it. Thank you again. And uh, yeah, we stay in touch if you want. I will continue. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.